A reading from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10, through chapter 2, verse 3, which can be found on page 1122 of your Pew Bibles. This is God's word. Concerning this salvation, the prophets, who spoke of the grace that was to come to you, searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told to you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, Be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For... All people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. The word of the Lord. I invite you to pray with me. God of grace, as we enter into this space from all kinds of different places and experiences in this week and in our lives, whether we come from a place of great doubt and questioning or a low point on our journey where we, um, we don't know up from down or from a high point where we see convincingly your hand at work in our lives and we're so thankful and gratitude is pouring out of our life like never before. All of these are places that we're coming from today and many more. Uh, 
And despite that, we trust that you're going to speak in such a way that all of us may walk out of here knowing that we've met with you and that your grace has been communicated in a way that we can grab hold of it and take one more step in this life, understanding you a little better and believing that despite the fact that we're more of a mess than we care to admit, that you keep saying over and over that we are more loved and accepted in Christ than we ever imagined. Help us to believe that through your holy scriptures today. In Jesus' name, amen. Our series is Retro God. You know, classic things, throwback things that God wants to bring back, that God is still into. So I'm going to bring back something retro that if you're in your late 20s and 30s will feel kind of retro. And then something else that won't, it's so old that it won't feel retro. So two things I'm going to share with you that I have actually memorized. Two different kinds of things that I've memorized. Okay, so here's the first. West Philadelphia, born and raised. On the playground is where I spent most of my days. Chilling out, maxing, relaxing, all cool, just shooting some b-ball outside of school when a couple of guys who were up to no good started making trouble in my neighborhood. I got in one little fight and my mom got scared. She said, you're moving with your auntie and uncle in Bel Air. All right. Thanks. So proud. All right. So that's in my brain for good. Um, and then here's another one. This is a little more recent, uh, recently, hopefully hardwired into my brain. From Colossians 1, verses 15 through 21. The sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, whether things in heaven or on earth, visible or invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and all things hold together in him. He is the head of the body, the church, the beginning, and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in every thing he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things through his blood shed on the cross. Now which one do you think was easier to learn? Which one do you think is going to be more helpful for me in life? Um, you know, you can really only use something once as a sermon opener, you know? <laughs> Just to give you a hint in terms of uh, which one of those is going to be more useful. I want you to picture yourself now. Picture yourself three to four months out from now, and you're in a real messy spot in life. And I don't know, maybe it's like one thing crashing in and falling in in your life. Maybe it's just one part of life. Or maybe it's a whole bunch of stuff at once. But um, whether externally things are falling in or internally things are falling apart, 
you're in the kind of place where you end up and picture that you're in this rough, rough spot. And then not only that, but it's like the, the most difficult hour of the most difficult day of this difficult time. And you feel like you don't know up from down and you um, are alone and you're at your wit's end and you just want to grab a hold of something that's there, that's solid, that you can think about or focus on or say to yourself. And so you cycle through. What do you have at your disposal? What's there? Something that might clear kind of a path through the mess and the clutter and create something of a path to get through this time. What do you have? Um, you know, you might try some of the cliches that we tell people when they say, oh, I'm having a rough day. Some of those quick and easy things, you know. Oh, keep your head up, you know. Things will turn around. Uh, you might uh, try things that, um, intellectual arguments that usually win debates or arguments that you have with amidst your friends. And right now, it's those things are not even winning yourself over to... Uh, moving forward in life. What do you have? Or what are you left with? TV jingles? I whistled for the cab, and when it came near, the license plate said fresh and it had dice in the mirror. I thought, nah, forget it, yo, Holmes to Bel Air. What's that doing for you? Or there is a God over all things, reconciling all things to himself right now. Um, Peter, as he writes this, he has a very high view of Scripture, a high value for Scripture. He, he has a very sacred view of the ancient Scriptures. His, his answer would be, go for, the, go for the Scripture. Have that embedded in your consciousness somehow. As we read this, it's interesting because Peter, uh, it must have been really interesting for him. It was kind of ironic. He was the one we all kind of know this. I think it's a pretty universally known story that he... He's the one who denied Jesus and knowing Jesus because of sort of a peer pressure thing going on uh, when Jesus was arrested and fear and worrying about how people are going to treat him. The people he's writing to now, I mean, he must have been really psyched. He's been able to pastor them and be involved in the development of churches in this different region. And there's this common thing going on where... uh, They've grabbed hold of this belief in Jesus, you know, not denying Jesus, but grabbing so it's grabbed hold of them so much that their lives have been really inverted in such a way that now they're facing public uh, ridicule and mocking and getting unfriended and all kinds of, you know, in an ancient kind of way. Um, but, I mean, seriously, there, there's all this social pressure and this this collection of churches throughout this region he's writing to is has such a potent version of this faith in Jesus that they're living so unselfishly with their money and with issues of their reputation publicly and with um, the mass culture's values. They've kind of turned the switch off so confidently on the mass culture's values that it doesn't really have a hold over them and they've exchanged um, a new view of their themselves for the selfish view of sex that their culture had. And so they're starting to get viewed as strange and dangerous. 
And the reaction then, because that, of course, puts there's a lot of pressure on the church, and it's creating things that you get a hint of in chapter 2, verse 1, where he says, Therefore rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander of every kind. You get the sense that they're at that one of those low points. They're at the one hour on the worst day. Uh, you know, you get the point. They're, they're at the place where things are falling apart around them. And so their lives are it's very tempting to be a lot more kind of hypocritical and nuanced and, and for things like slander and anger and envy to creep in and to create a lot of discord in the midst of this what were very vibrant, exciting, perhaps chaotic, but vibrant and exciting, unselfish communities of faith. The pressure's on. And amidst the pressure, there's a, a real concern that they're going to kind of just back away from that full grabbing hold, that full embrace of Jesus and just kind of distance themselves a little bit in all kinds of ways. This is I'm just in the worst possible spot I can be up here. This is terrible. There we go. It's better. Sorry to you and to you as well. Sorry that I'm in your face and sorry that I've left you over there. Um, but the sun was in my eyes. So this is that community. That just gives you a sense of this community and and this is what Peter says to this, this church um, that is in this kind of struggle. Um, he basically, he talks to them about uh, the prophets, he talks to them about the angels, and he talks to them about newborn babies. The prophets, what are they doing? The prophets were, he, he's building this community up, and he's saying the prophets, um, where am I here? Oh, yeah. The prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come, he says, they searched intently and with greatest of care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ. In other words, he's saying, you have the message, you have the insider information now that the prophets didn't have. If they were embedded in these, these vibrant Christian communities, they had done a lot of reading from the prophets and had a, lo- a lot of meditation and focus on how the, the ancient scriptures bring out the sort of predictions and the picture of why Jesus came and why his, his life ended up being a sacrifice on the cross to redeem and reconcile people to their God. So they would have been re- going through you know, ancient scriptures and the prophets, viewing these prophets as is just, you know, the, the cream of the crop, the people who had that direct line with God. I mean, sure, if you know your Bible, some of them didn't have such great lives because of their role as truth-tellers. But nonetheless, it, it's a little bit of an envious thing, right, to these pe- people who God would speak to, that kind of assurance to know and to have the words of God. And Peter's saying, oh, you have so much on them. You now know, you have the full picture of how God did those things that he was only hinting at back then. They searched, they longed to live in the days you live in. That's one way that Jesus actually put it. Um, so the, the prophets. And then he talks about the angels, and he's using some really strong words. You know, the prophets were searching intensely with greatest of care. The angels are longing, and this is a a deep longing, sometimes even used to talk about sexual longing. That's how intense of a word this is. It's not meaning that at all here, but that's just how that word can be used. An intense longing that even the angels, and you think, what? The angels, you know, they're, they're, they're in the presence of God. Again, messengers of God, communicate with God, and all divine things. 
that this good news reconciling message that, these, that has really just lit this community alive and into unselfish living, the angels, are, it's, a, it's a present tense ongoing verb. They're longing, they're always longing to look intently into this thing that you have that has turned your life around already. And that looking intently, that word looking intently is the same word used for when Peter and also Mary looked into the empty tomb. You get a sense of Peter building them up and, and, and showing them what they have. And, what, and, and you kind of see in a lot of ways in this passage, he talks about a ton of things that I can't get into. But one of the big themes is scripture and the word of God and how it's imperishable and everlasting. And so then, then finally, uh, he talks about newborn infants in verse two, or chapter two, verse two. Um, and what he's getting at is another word is very related to the longing that the angels are doing, the babies, the newborn babies. The word uh, I think we have translated as craving, or how they crave. Yeah, crave pure spiritual milk. Um, and that's what he wants his listeners to, to kind of set their sights on. And what, do, how, what is that like? Well, I've, I've gone through it three times now, and I'm looking forward to, if this is the, probably the most public I've made this announcement, looking forward to number four in September. Um, but so three times of seeing the newborn baby, you know, and what is it about it? What's so amazing about what he's saying here is that the baby instinctively knows what it needs, and how to get it. I mean, that's one of the fascinating things that you see right away when you have a baby. Instinctively knows what it needs and how to get it. Do you instinctively know what you need and how to get it? And do you have a, a craving for it in that kind of a way? And of course, God's word, the ancient holy scriptures. And of course, what is the answer for most of us? No. <laughs> no. I mean, let's just be honest. No, we don't have that vibrant craving, most of us, most of the time. We need help. We need reminders. We need people like Peter. These, these early Christians, they have a vibrant thing going. I mean, they've, their faith has been so vibrant that, that, the, that the public is starting to view them as dangerous, countercultural, kind of grassroots movements. Who are these people? What are they going to do? They're living so unselfishly. Um, even they need to be reminded and helped to, and encouraged to crave what initially started their transformation, the grace of God. And I would say that, um, you know, you might say, well, where am I at with respect to the Bible and the Christian faith? And you might say, well, you know, there's those who, certainly there's those who are really exuberant, exuberantly embracing their faith and in a really good, positive place. Those are the ones that really dive into Scripture and read it and, and have it in a, part of, you know, a regular part of their lives and do crazy things like memorize portions and say it in front of crowds. Um, certainly, that's just, you know, I'm not there. I'm not, I'm not sure that I'm ready yet for to embrace it in that kind of way. But I would say that, as, as you read it, the really cool way that this all ends with him saying, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. And I don't know whether you've felt like you've gotten a big taste of God through the Christian faith, through Jesus, if you've gotten a big taste of it, or whether you feel like, 
I don't know, I'm still waiting. I'm still trying to figure it out. Or I constantly feel a little bit inadequate because I don't feel like I have that taste and that I crave for more. I, I don't think it matters where you are on that spectrum. That the, the, the most helpful thing for you is to begin to be mentally prepared, emotionally prepared, spiritually prepared for when things are crashing in and falling apart around you or in your heart and that you have something of the truths in this book to, to hang on to and to at least, even if it's just testing them out in the midst of your, you know, what might be your darkest day or your kind of gray day. Do you even have, I mean, the argument could be made that if you're exploring the Christian faith and looking into it, that you're not even really taking it seriously unless you have some of this at the ready to apply to the things that are going to come up in your life this week, next week, three months from now. So I love how in verse 13, the emphasis is on, therefore with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on grace. And uh, one uh, translation says, prepare your minds for action. Um, Set your minds on God's grace. You know, cars still have these preset buttons, right? And if you're a really good friend, you change, you borrow someone's car, you change them all to the Latino stations or something like that or some other, or the religious ones, you know, to annoy them. Um, That's me, by the way, sorry. Um, But, um, so don't lend me your car. Um, But, so we still have presets, right? We know what that is. This is basically saying, have, you know, in your own life, have, do you have presets? What are your presets? What are they? Do you have any? Are you preset for those days when um, you're going to need something to hang on to to clear a path? For example, when you're uh, really lonely, can you grab hold of this? Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with them and they with me. It's Revelation 320. And maybe your mind would also go to Matthew 28. Surely I am with you always to the end of the age. Or let's say you're convicted of sin in your life in some way, some significant way. Do you have something to clear a path? In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he has lavished on us. Um, What about when you have paralyzing self-doubt? Yet to all who receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. Do you have that assurance to grab hold of? What about when you're feeling like you're in a place of sexual temptation? Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You are bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Or maybe when um, you have something for when you just feel like your faith 
maybe like a, a lot like what the um, what the people Peter, Peter was writing to. Like your faith is the most irrelevant, most discarded thing that your friends or neighbors, if only they knew, they'd be so condescending of what you believe. Do you have this? Therefore God exalted him, Jesus, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, every knee, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Will you have anything resembling what, um, just in closing, will you have anything resembling what Dennis and Sally had on the night that they found out their 20-year-old son, Paul, had uh, his flight in a two-propeller Cessna had ended in his death. And they, um, at 2 o'clock, after he was two hours late from coming back, they called some family, and at 4 o'clock they called the pastor who woke up and headed with them to the airport. And then eventually they found out that the officials had found Paul's plane in 20 feet of water off the Ludington coast, and their boy was dead. Um, this by written by Kevin Adams in his book 150 about the Psalms. Uh, amid searing pain, Dennis and Sally staggered back into the terminal. Loved ones circled around them. Tears spilled on each other. Hearts opened in grief. Emotions exploded. Dennis pounded his fist on the wall. Parents do all kinds of things when they lose a child. And then after... All their heat, sweat, and pain, Dennis turned to his pastor, Tim, you've got to pray for us. Tim grabbed Dennis under his right arm and a family friend under his left. Sally was held up by friends across a circle as they joined arms together. In that vulnerable moment, Tim reached across the centuries to borrow the words to pray, not trusting his own eloquence or verbal skill. Walking in the footsteps of pastors like Augustine and Ambrose, he prayed, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. At that point, he broke down and cried. He couldn't even pray another word. A stunning thing happened then. Dennis, whose heart had just been wrenched from his, te- his chest, picked up the prayer where Tim left off. He leads me beside the still waters. Still waters? Only a few hours ago, the angry waters of Lake Michigan had swallowed his boy's plane as it sank to the bottom. Dennis broke down and cried like a baby. Then his wife Sally picked up the prayer. Full of grief, she continued, He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and staff will comfort me. She made it as far as the next line. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And then she couldn't go on. What was she thinking about? A thousand peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, Paul's favorite backyard barbecue, a wedding feast that would never happen. She fell, weeping. Her friends tried to hold her up, but the pain was too heavy to stand. Then the most remarkable thing of all happened. Every person in that circle of grief continued praying Psalm 23. With one communal voice, they continued the ancient words, You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows, until they came to the final line. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. 
In the face of immediate and overwhelming pain, they joined the ancient, never-ending chorus. They uttered words of trust, trust uh, tested for centuries. They had said these ancient words before, maybe mechanically, without even thinking about them, but this time they were desperate to say them again. In danger of falling apart, they turned to Psalm 23. Let us pray. God of grace, would you inspire us, move us, to crave? Would you nurture a craving in us for your word to at least even give it a chance, if not put our whole life in it so that we might end up in an in a, um, avalanche of craving more and more once we taste and see how good you are. And for those of us who struggle and have a hundred reasons not to trust the ancient scriptures, would you help us to have the strength and the boldness to risk a little bit and to give it a try? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.